All right, that was funny. Can you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. If you're ready to go, could you please say, I'm ready. This is the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Verse 4. Young clothes were made of a camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourself, to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is the word of the Lord. Please, Lord, speak to us. In this very last weekend of 2019. I pray, Lord, that you use your word as you always do to give us a better picture, a better understanding of who you are and what you came to do in Jesus Christ. We started a year with Jesus. We want to finish our year with Jesus. We pray for all of this in the name of Jesus, and we all say, you may see. All right, so for some reason... Um, and this is true for almost every church I know. The last sermon of the year is not a sermon uh, that a lot of preachers like to preach. Don't ask me why. I really don't know why. Um, but for some reason, I really enjoy and look forward to preaching the last sermon of the year. Part of the reason why is because I believe that the last sermon of the year is a great opportunity for me to help us set our hearts ready for next year. Right? So I know that attendance is low, and I don't care. <laughs> I know that uh, we usually make things simple, and I don't care. I know that people are half sleep, and I don't care. I'll wake you up in a few seconds. Don't worry. <laughs> but there's something for me special about the last sermon, especially if we take into consideration that that's how, how we're going to start next year, Right? And if there's something that is valuable to me, and I think is valuable to me because it's in the Scripture, is that we developed and we have a heart of repentance. So my prayer for WBC, my prayer for our Streamwood campus, my prayer for IDP, 
is that as a church, we grow in our understanding of what repentance is and to live a life of repentance. That if we're going to be known for many things, one of the things that we, get, we have to be known by is because of our spirit of repentance. People that are quick to repent. People that practice a life of repentance. That's why the title for today's message is Repentance, the Beginning and the Journey. I believe that repentance is a must, not only for anybody to become a Christian, I will explain that in a second, but it's actually one of the evidences of the quality of your Christianity. That's why it is the beginning of the journey. Repentance is the number one thing you must have in order for you to become a Christian, but it's also one of the evidences of the quality of your Christianity. That's why Luther said that the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. If you are not known for your life of repentance, either you are completely holy and you shouldn't be here, or you need to grow in that area. You are losing part of your spirituality if that's not something that you practice regularly. Um, so for that, we're going to talk about three things. And I thought about these three points for about five hours, so please remember those. We're going to talk about the heart of repentance, the heart for repentance, and repentance from the heart. That's super cool. The heart of repentance, the heart for repentance, and repentance from the heart. With the first point, I want to give you kind of a, de a definition of what repentance from a biblical perspective is. With the second point, I want to explain why is it that repentance is so beneficial for us as individuals, as people, and as Christians. And with the third point, I want to, say how, I want to show you how is it that we become people of, that live a life of repentance. So let's go with the first point, a heart of repentance. Um, so the question is, what, what does true repentance mean? Now, uh, if you start with verse 1, you notice that the text is talking about John the Baptist. Um, and he says that John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness. And with that, then, I have to give you a little bit of context in order for you to understand why uh, John is preaching where he's preaching and why John is saying what he's saying while he was in the wilderness. See, when you think of the wilderness, and I think that that was the intention when, when the author, uh, uh, when Matthew wrote this, uh, the intention was to re uh, help us remember this image of an Old Testament event. When the Israelites in the book of Exodus are, are walking through the desert on their way to the promised land. Interesting enough, the word desert and wilderness is the same word. So there is no uh, coincidence here. I think that the Holy Spirit was guiding the writer to point us to the wilderness because there is significance in John preaching in the wilderness. See, when the Israelites were in the desert, they were, um, one of the things that the Lord was doing was purging or removing or dealing with people's sins. For 40 years, they, were, they walked in the desert and God was dealing with their sins. Meaning that the intention behind everything that God was doing was to point to people their necessity of repentance. Actually, what the Bible shows us is that without the repentance that people needed, people will not be able to make it into the promised land. Now, the promised land symbolized uh, peace and security and prosperity and rest. 
But notice the principle here. Without the wilderness, there was no acknowledge of sin. Without the acknowledge of sin, there was no forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there was no promised land. And without the promised land, there was no peace, no security, no prosperity, and no rest. That's the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. And that's the reason why John is preaching a, a message of repentance in the wilderness. He wants us to make a connection between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Now, we know that in the New Testament, we see that peace, security, prosperity, and rest is not bound to a geographical location. We know from the Scripture in the New Testament that peace, security, prosperity, and rest is found in a person, Jesus Christ. So even as you think of the promised land in the Old Testament, you have to acknowledge that the promised land was pointing to Jesus, the true promised land. But this is the thing we have to remember, though. That is for the Israelites, the recognition of their sin, their confession of sin, was a requirement in order for them to enter the promised land. For us, the people of the New Testament, the recognition of sin, the confession of sin is the requirement before we even come to Jesus or as part of what it means to come to Jesus. So if you are here, if you're not a believer, the only way you become a believer is by believing and repenting. If you don't believe and repent, you have nothing. And if you are a believer... It doesn't matter if you already did that. You continue to repent for the things that the Lord continued to show you. Because as Christians, we are both saints and sinners at the same time. We are saints because we are in Jesus Christ. But we are sinners because there's still a lot of garbage inside of us. That is the reason why John started his preaching with the word repent. And he shows this in three different places. Verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. Notice here that this is an imperative. This is not a suggestion. He is not saying to people coming to him, you might want to consider repenting. No, he is his prophetic word says, repent. You don't have any other option. This is not a suggestion. You must do it. If you want to be part of the kingdom of God, if you want to grow in the kingdom of God, repentance is not an option. You know what's interesting, though? That John the Baptist was not the first person that started his ministry like that. Jesus started his ministry like that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Repent. The disciples of Jesus started their ministry like that. Matthew, Mark chapter 6, verse 12. Repent. This is extremely important. Our understanding of what repentance is, our means, is extremely important. There is no Christianity without repentance. It is impossible to claim to be a Christian if our life is not, is not um, marked by repentance. So the question is, what does repentance mean? All right, so I'm going to give you four different definitions that, I find, that you find in the Scripture. Um, 
And I want you to pay attention to that because we are usually drawn to one of those, not all of those. So, for example, one of the definitions we find in the Bible is that repentance is to change your mind, is to change your understanding of something, is to change the way you think about something. That is part of what it means to, be, to repent. Another definition is to forsake or to leave something. Something that hinders your relationship with other people, something that hinders your relationship with God. So if the first one is a change of mind, the second one could be a change of direction. The third definition that we find in the Bible is to grieve. To grieve for the sin that you have committed. To grieve for the things that you have done wrong. So it's a change of mind, a change of direction, and thirdly, a change of heart. You grieve. The last definition that I find in the scripture is to go back to God, to return to God. In the midst of your struggle, your call, especially if you're a Christian or non-Christian, is to go back to God or go, go to God. It's a change of mind, a change of direction, a change of heart. And therefore, if you go back to God, it's a change of life. I told you that the struggle and the tendency, though, is for us to pick one of those definitions, and to ignore the rest. What I want to argue is that if you really want to understand and live a life of repentance, you don't get to choose one of those. You must embrace all. Let, let, me, let me explain it this way. If repentance to you is only a change of mind, you can think of something as being wrong, you can understand that something is wrong, but if you don't change the way you behave, that is not repentance. Example, think of a man or a woman or someone that is cheating, for example. I could have an understanding that cheating is wrong. I could have an understanding that hurting my wife like that is wrong. I could have an understanding that my cheating could bring consequences upon my kids. I can understand, understand that if I cheat, I lose my ministry. I understand all of that. But if I don't act upon it, that is not repentance. It's just information. Information is not enough. So let's look at the second one. Let's say that you believe that repentance is about change of direction only. Uh, to walk away from something that is wrong. But I want to argue that it is possible to walk away from something that is wrong, not because you understand that it's truly wrong, but because you don't want to get in trouble, because you are afraid of the consequences. Example, I'm going to use cheating again for some reason. Let's say that a man is, a man, is uh, a man for some reason, uh, doesn't want to cheat, and he doesn't want to cheat for this, for this, the main reason is because he doesn't want to uh, divorce his wife and having to pay child support. You see, I could restrain myself from doing wrong things, but not for the right motives, simply because I'm afraid of the consequences. I would argue that in my time as a pastor, that is the number one reason why people repent. For the consequences of sin, but not because of the sin committed. I want to argue that a lot of believers repent because they are afraid of the consequences of their sin. 
And if that is the only reason why you repent, that's not repentance. Let's say that there's a group of people that feel that repent because they feel sorry for what they have done. Once again, you could feel wrong all you want. But maybe, 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 just maybe, the reason why you feel wrong is because of what you have done. Because of the consequences of it. But not because you have an understanding that sin is hideous. Not because you have an understanding that sin is an offense against God, His goodness, His mercy. Maybe not because you have an understanding that to sin is unnatural to us. It is natural because we're fallen creatures, but it's unnatural because that was not part of God's original design. That's part of the reason why statistically, listen up, statistically, a person that has committed adultery, let's keep on going with the cheating concept, a person that has committed adultery, if they repent because of the consequences of their behavior and not because of their sin, statistics shows that there's a high probability that you would cheat again. Isn't that crazy? If the motive is wrong, there's a high probability that people will do the same thing over and over again. The only way to avoid that is to hate sin itself. Not just the consequences of it. And to hate sin for what it is, for what it represents, and for what it does. And when you do that, then you have one option. You go back to God. And you return to him. Yes, repentance requires a change of mind. And it requires a change of direction. And it requires a change of heart. But if your repentance does, does, uh, does not drive you to God, it's not true repentance. You have no idea how many times I've seen that in ministry. I was remembering about when I was a youth pastor, I had um, one, of, one of the members of my, of my group um, had done something awful, right? And, and we talked about it, and we prayed, and he repented, and he went through a discipline process. Uh, he was doing all of that. But, but I noticed that... Um, he would come to church with his family, right? But he would not sit in a service. And I noticed that he would come to church and participate in all the fun stuff. But whenever pre the word was uh, preached, he would, he would avoid it. He would just walk around the church. So I approached him. I said, hey, listen, man, what's, what's going on? How come you can't sit through a service? And this is how he responded. He says, I cannot believe that I did that. I'm so full of guilt that I don't think I should sit through a service. And people will say, oh, that is so nice. Not if you understand what repentance is. You know what that was? Self-pity. Oh, poor me, look at what I've done. Self-punishment. Self-atonement. True repentance always, always drives you back to God. If in the midst of your struggle, you don't run like crazy to him, you don't understand what repentance is. You know, I believe that that was the case of the Pharisees. 
I think that was their problem. It's, there's something so weird about that group of people that reflects so much of what people do today. This is the thing about these people. They, they believed in repentance. They practiced repentance. They invited people to repent. But they did not understand what repentance was. Let me, let me show it to you. Look at, look at an example here in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, pay attention to this because this is not inspirational talk. You brother vipers, stop. Who welcomes people like that? Everyone tells us that the church should always be super, super nice. So you come back. John will not qualify to be one of our pastors. You, brother vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Do you understand why he did that? He perceived their motives. You know what he noticed? That there was these people were coming to him and wanted to repent and get baptized, right? Because for them, that was their way to escape the wrath of God. Repentance as a means to save yourself. Not repentance because of what sin is and what sin does and what sin represents. Repentance to gain salvation. Repentance to buy salvation. That is what it means to be religious. You do everything right, but the motive is wrong. Look at they do it again in verse 8. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And for some reason, they thought that about just confessing your sins without changing your life was enough. And what John is saying, listen, you could repent all you want. But if there's no cha- change of direction, if you're not running to God, feeling sorry about the things that you have done is not enough. And then in verse 10, you hear these words that make me uh, tremble. He says in verse 10, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And he's talking about judgment. And I know that it is hard to talk about judgment, especially if you are if you love people. But the reality is, according to John and the rest of the New Testament, that without true repentance, without genuine repentance. Hell is what's coming. You know, every time I, this is not even in my notes, so I hope it's from the Spirit. Every time I think about hell, and every time I read about hell, it automatically forces me to pray. To pray to make sure that my heart is right with God and to pray for those that don't know Jesus. I don't know what your view is of hell, but it's not good. And whenever I think of my loved ones, and whenever I think of my neighbors, and whenever I think of the people I work with, and whenever I think of the people that are surrounding me in my life, this verse right here should drive you to pray like crazy. 
and to speak. That was extra. That was free. It's not even part of the sermon. <laughs> Repentance is a change of mind. It is a change of direction. It is a change of heart because you ought to grieve for what you have done wrong. But it should always take you back to God for the forgiveness of your sins and for you to experience a changed life. That's why I think that the second part of verse 2 is so important. Notice how he starts the sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What I like about the, the phrase, the, the kingdom of heaven, every time you see it in the, in the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, which, by the way, appears 32 times in the Gospel of Matthew, it's a reminder that God rules, that God is the only hope, that to him we run and in him we rest. That at the end of the day, our only hope when we repent is him. That is the heart of repentance. Now let's go to the second point, to the heart for repentance. And for this one, I want to be a little bit more practical. Um, because not only we need to understand the, or have the right understanding of repentance is, but actually we got to see why is it that repentance is beneficial it's beneficial to you as an individual, and it's beneficial to you as a Christian. It's actually beneficial for us as a community. And I'm getting this because of verse 11. Look at what it says. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one, mean Jesus, who is more powerful than I. So I want to stop there for a second. Because uh, one thing that we must remember is that when we, when we think about Jesus Christ, we're not just thinking about the one that came to save us from the penalty of sin. But he came to sa save us from the power of sin. For some reason, that's something that many people forget. Jesus comes, lives, dies and resurrects, not just to free us from the penalty of sin, the consequence of sin, but to save us from the power of sin. Meaning that if you are a believer, it is possible to say no to the temptation of sin. It is possible by the power of God in Jesus to run away from sin. So we don't have permission to be to say, oh, which is sinners. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Yes, we are sinners. But if you are a believer, the power of God is within you, and I'll show you why in a second, to say no. To run. You know, this is an illustration for me. Um, Joseph in the Old Testament, book of Genesis. It's always a good example for me of what that means. Because I'm thinking as a man, right? I'm thinking of Joseph as a man, and he's tempted to, to sleep around with this woman that is not his wife. Listen, nobody was there. It was only him and this woman. And he's not looking for the woman. It is the woman looking for him. And she does everything. She fixes everything in order for him to, to sin. It was the perfect storm, perfect time, secret, nobody there. He's walking with the Lord, nothing is happening. You know that he could have done that and nobody would have ever, ever found out, ever. And yet, 
he runs like a man. He was a holy coward. Because for Christians, God came to save us from the consequence of sin, but also from the power of sin. Why? Look at here. Whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to see what sin is, what sin represents, and what sin does. And it is the Spirit working in our minds, in our hearts, and in our will, so we run like crazy. Repentance is from God because of Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is a gift. That's why I call repentance an evidence of God's grace. It's truly an evidence of God's grace. So now let me give you the practical application here. Because repentance is an evidence of God's grace. That is the only way that you actually get to experience God. You know, in a culture that insists that you're supposed to experience God before you do anything, I want to argue that the reason why John the Baptist started his ministry with the word repent, I want to argue that the reason why Jesus started his ministry with the word repent, I want to argue that the reason why the apostles started their ministry with the word repent is because repentance is what allows you to experience God. Repentance is like the door that opens the door for you is the door that opens everything for you to experience the love of God, the mercy of God, the, the presence of God, the power of God. So instead of looking for an experience with God, seek repentance, and I guarantee you, you will experience him. Second reason why I think that repentance is an evidence of God's grace is because there's, without, without this, there's no spiritual healing. You know, um, if there's something that we all struggle with, even if you're a believer, is shame and guilt. We all experience that. Even if you had an amazing week, whenever you do something wrong, you feel shame and you feel guilt. Interesting, though, is that instead of repenting, we try all these different things thinking that we're going to be able to get rid of that. So, for example, we use the famous blame shifting. You know that blame shifting does not work in order for you to get rid of your shame and your guilt. It doesn't work. You can blame anybody for the things that you have done wrong, but at the end of the day, you know that you're guilty. It doesn't work. Allowing your inner lawyer to argue in your favor does not work. You know what I mean by that? When you argue with yourself and you justify yourself and you convince yourself that, ah, it wasn't that bad. Does that same work? You're still full of shame and guilt. You know, distraction doesn't work. Doesn't matter how much you buy, how many things you have, how many places you go, how much you try to medicate yourself at the end of the day, shame and guilt is still there. Your achievements are not enough. Giving is not enough. Serving is not enough. Punishing yourself is not enough criticizing others is not enough. You know, this is so interesting. I've been thinking a lot about this one because I am convinced 
that the reason why we criticize so much and we enjoy gossiping and we buy all that stuff and we watch the Kardashians <laughs> is because somehow when you see what people are doing wrong, you feel good about yourself. But it doesn't work. Because at the end of the day, you still have your shame and your guilt. You know, a few years ago, a few years ago, no, more like 12 years ago, I went back to Colombia uh, to visit for my brother's wedding. And during that time, my great-grandmother, my great-great-grandmother was passing away. And I got to see her before she passed away. Now, I come from a family of Christians, um, even though I converted like at age 22, 21, 22. But anyway, I got to see her, and I almost got to hear the last word she told the entire family. This is what she says. Serve the Lord. I didn't. And I've never forgotten her. I hope that she died as a Christian. Something tells me that she did. But I know that some of her last words were shame and guilt. Is that going to be you? Repent is an evidence of God's grace. It's a spiritual healing. Repentance is how you grow. It is impossible to die to yourself if you don't repent. It is impossible for you to die to your sin if you don't repent. Repentance is how you love. What I mean by that, this is how you love other people. It's part of what it means to be a community. I know that you love the church, and I know that you love spending here, uh, spending time here, but if you, have, if you spend more than a month as being part of the church, you realize one thing, that we're still sinners, and that we hurt one another unintentionally many times, and that we say things that we're not supposed to say. And unless there's the spirit of repentance within the church, there is no community. It's not that you're expecting others to repent. You repent. One of the best advice someone has given me when I argue with my wife is this. Listen to everything she says. And recognize that at least 10% of what she says is true. And for that, you repent. Isn't that true? Come on. You're arguing with somebody, and you're actually going to say that none of the stuff people say is not true about you? Recognize at least the 10% and repent of that. See, this is an evidence of God's grace because this is an act of worship. We recognize who we are. We recognize who God is, and we run to him. That is the heart of repentance. Now, it is one thing to know the definition of repentance. It is another thing to recognize that repentance is important. But I want to argue that those two things are not enough for you to want to repent. That's why you need point number three. You need to learn how to repent from the heart. In other words, right here, right here 
you need to embrace why is it that repentance is so important. And I believe that John makes this point extremely clear in a word that has three letters. And it's in verse 2. Notice here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this is the reason why we included this passage as part of our Advent series. Because he's talking about Jesus coming here. But notice that he says that repent flows from this. Repentance is the product of us understanding this. Repentance flows from us knowing that before we even go to him, he came to us. Repentance is understanding that we come to him and ask for forgiveness because Jesus, God in Jesus, comes first. And comes first not just to be born, but comes first to go to the cross. Because it is when Jesus goes to the cross to experience pain and rejection that we get the blessing to experience God. It is because Jesus comes first and he goes to the cross to be stripped of his clothes and honor and experience shame that we, because of that, we get to get rid of our guilt. It is because Jesus came first and goes to the cross to die that we get to grow. It is because Jesus comes first and he goes to the cross to lose his eternal community, to find himself without the Father. Why have you forsaken me? It is because he does that first that we get to experience God's community. Without God taking the initiative, there is no Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no cross. Without the cross, there's no forgiveness and freedom from guilt and shame. Without forgiveness and freedom from guilt and shame, there's no spirit. And without the spirit, there is no repentance. Even the act of repentance, repenting is an act of God working on our behalf. That should change your heart. MLK, in one of his sermons, Martin Luther King Jr., in one of his sermons, said this. There are some things so dear, some things so precious, some things so eternally true that they are worth dying for. And I submit to you that if a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. I believe that repentance is a way in which we die, by which we die to ourselves. And you don't die to yourself simply because you have to. You die to yourself because you want to. Because Jesus is worthy. Because he's so precious, so dear, so eternally true that he's worth dying for. You know what's interesting? I could use the same quote in a different way. I could tell you that that could be Jesus' words to you. There are things and people so dear, so things, so people so precious, people so eternally true that they are worth dying for. And that will be you. That's why we repent. Because he approached us first. We died to ourselves because he died first. Amen? 
My prayer is that 2020 may be a year in which repentance is what you practice and what you live. Lord Jesus, we come before you, as always, thanking you, Lord, because you speak to us. You are the one that takes the initiative. You are the one that comes looking for us. You are the one that came looking for us in Jesus. You are the one that sent your son to the cross. You are the one that sent the spirit. You are the one that gives us the gift of repentance. Please help us see it as an evidence of your grace. And help us live according to it. And we pray for all of these in the name of Jesus. And we all say, can you please stand? Let's respond to the Lord in adoration.